that. Welcome. Good to see you. Welcome to Emmaus Church. My name's Nathan. I want to ask you if you'd like a Bible to raise your hand. One of our ushers will give you one. We're going to be in the Gospel of John here in a minute. I'm going to teach from the 13th chapter of John's Gospel. And if you um, are grabbing one of these Bibles, it'll be on page 751. Inside the Bibles are communication cards. If you're new with us and you'd like to hand off some contact information, you're welcome to fill out a card, and uh, we'll collect them in a little bit. If you have a comment or a prayer request, you can also use those cards for that. So glad you've, you've chosen to join us today. Um, I'm excited to preach uh, out of this short, um, this short teaching that Jesus gives in John chapter 13. Sermon title today is The 11th Commandment. The 11th Commandment, and the key scripture is this statement from Jesus that's recorded by John, one of his disciples, in the 13th chapter of his gospel. And this is, this is how it goes. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I just think that it is critical for followers of Jesus to understand that Jesus said these words. <clears throat> this is not some fringe teaching, as if any of Jesus's are, but this is just so core. I also think it's critical that followers of Jesus understand the context in which Jesus spoke these words, what was going on around him when he said these things. So let's begin with the context, and then we'll get into the content of the words, because both are really critical. Jesus taught this teaching. Jesus said these words on what we refer to as the Thursday of Holy Week, which is the Thursday night or the very day in which he is betrayed, right, um, tortured into the evening, goes without sleep, and crucified the very next morning on the cross. This is, this is the last night he spends with his disciples they share a meal together on this night called the Last Supper. All four of the Gospels record the events of this night, most focus on the significance of the Last Supper. John, however, tells us some additional details about what happens and um, reveals those details in his Gospel that we don't see in the other. So let's look at John 13 together. Open your Bibles if you can. I won't read the whole thing because it's very long, but just scan it. And try to take in some of the breadth of the dynamics going on in just this one chapter in John's gospel. There's all kinds of relational dynamics going on. There's some teaching. There's some questioning. There's some learning. There's some how does this fit. So there's all kinds of stuff happening in John 13. Let me point out just three main events. If you, had to, if you had to pick up three main events from the chapter, I think they would be these. The first is that in this chapter and on this night, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Also on this night, he predicts that one of his followers, one of his closest disciples is going to betray him. And then he also predicts, a third big event from this night, is he predicts that another one of his followers is going to deny that he even knows Jesus. So there's these three main events. 
The first is that he demonstrates this remarkable love for his disciples, for all of his disciples, including Judas, including Peter. John starts this um, chapter by saying this, that Jesus now showed them, his followers, the full extent of his love, the full extent of his love, or he loved them all the way to the end. The sense is not like the end of his life. The sense is to the end of what could be given, like filled up the full measure of the, of the love of Christ kind of idea. He washes all of their feet. And then he says, one of you is going to betray me. And there's an experience in that chapter where the identity of the betrayer is revealed to be Judas, who then gets up from the meal and leaves. And then after that, he says, and one of you, Peter is bragging that he's going to go to his death for Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what? You're not even going to make it through the night without denying that you know me. And it's not just going to happen once. It's going to happen three times before the rooster crows. And then here's the point. Right in the middle of all that, I mean, the dynamics here, we could preach on this chapter for weeks because there's so much happening here. Right in the middle of it, Jesus says these words, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And he says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So on one sense, the teaching is super simple. He says it three times in two sentences, and then he reiterates it. Three words repeated three times. Love one another. So let's talk about that for a second, the nature of these words. I want to talk about the nature of these words. I want to talk about the definition of these words. And then I want to talk about the ramifications or the consequences of these words. All right? That'll be our, our brief outline for today. First, what immediately stands out to me as distinctive about these words is their nature. In other words, what kind of words they are. According to Jesus, this is a new commandment. So Jesus is emphasizing the critical nature of this teaching that he is given by calling it a new commandment. So this is remarkable because Jesus, who leads into his teachings in a variety of ways, never does this before or after. But he leads into this teaching by saying, this is a new commandment. In other words, I am about to tell you something that should live in the category of your understanding that is possessed by the deepest, most foundational understandings of the people of God. This is a commandment, right? So instantly, the hearers are thinking about what, of course, you would think when you hear the word commandment. You're thinking about the, the ultimate truths that have kind of guided the people of God since the beginning, the Ten Commandments. That's what you're thinking, right? He's intentionally evoking this imagery, the law of God given to Moses, etched in stone, carried around in the Ark of the Covenant while the people are wandering in the desert. These are the commandments of God. And Jesus begins this teaching by saying, I'm going to give you another one. I'm going to give you another commandment. I mean, everyone who is even a little bit familiar with the Bible could tell you there are 10 commandments, right? There are 10 commandments. Um, there have always been 10 commandments. Jesus himself taught about the 10 commandments. Jesus taught about the greatest 
of the Ten Commandments. He summarized the Ten Commandments. He talked about how he has not come to abolish any of the Ten Commandments, but in fact has come to fulfill all of the Ten Commandments. And then this should really grab our attention. He begins this teaching by saying, I'm going to give you a new commandment. This is not a new suggestion. This is not a new insight. This is not a new parable that I want you to kind of wrestle with and it'll explode in meaning to you like a hundred years down the road. No, this is a new commandment. What's the command? Love one another. So first, these words are super important because of their nature, because they are a command. This is an order. This is not a suggestion. And then what makes them even more intense is what Jesus does right before he speaks the words. It's his actions which illustrate or define or characterize uh, his words. So first, Jesus gives a commandment, love one another. And then secondly, Jesus defines that commandment based on what he has just done for his disciples, which is wash their feet. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He qualifies or defines this commandment by saying, listen, when I say love one another, this is what I mean. Very specifically, I just showed you what I'm talking about. You cannot define it according to your own preferences. I've just defined it for you according to my actions. When I say love one another, I mean this kind of love one another. He shows them this is what love looks like. So to get even more specific, I think we could probably characterize this love in a few ways. Let me suggest two. The first is this, that Jesus' love for his disciples here, this demonstration of love, is such a humble love. He loves humbly. And secondly, he loves unconditionally. So first, it's just such a humble picture of love. It's important to understand Jesus is not being humiliated. He is not being taken advantage of. He is voluntarily choosing to take the role of service, the role of a servant. He's saying, I'll take the back seat of the car. He's saying, I'll stand in the back of the line. He is volunteering to to play or to take the role of a servant. A generation or so later, the apostle Paul will be writing a letter to a church in a town called Philippi, and he's going to teach the people how to follow Jesus. And one of the things he says is this, in humility... You who follow Jesus in humility consider others better than yourself. He's hearkening back for him back about 30 years to this memorable, we can't ever forget this image of Jesus down on his knee washing the feet of his disciples. Jesus commands his followers to love one another as he loved them. How did he love them? He loved them humbly. In humility, He serves them. It's remarkable because the master serves the students. It's remarkable. So it's loving humbly. It's also loving unconditionally. And this is even harder than loving humbly for me. This is even harder. In fact, it's really hard for me to love without condition. But that's what Jesus does here. And John's account of the order of things makes it crystal clear. Jesus washes the feet of all of his disciples, all of them, including Judas, including Judas, who Jesus already knows is scheming 
and conspiring with those who want Jesus dead to betray him that very night in the garden. It's all set up. It's all prearranged. Jesus knows this, and yet he washes his feet. Jesus washes the feet of all his disciples, including Peter, who later that very night is going to answer a question from a teenage girl in the negative. I don't even know who he is. He's going to disown any kind of knowledge of Jesus, not just once, three times. Right? Jesus knows this, and yet he's washing Peter's feet. This is the most challenging part of the whole story for me. It's just deeply challenging. Jesus loves the people who he knows are going to do him harm. Very hard for me to do that. He chooses to love the people he knows they're going to do him great harm. There's no condition placed on Jesus' willingness to wash their feet. There is no defensive impulse in Jesus like there is in me. This self-preservation, this defensiveness, there's only love. I was at a big event this last week where people I've known for decades but haven't seen for years all gathered together. And so in between these sessions, in this big room, there are people coming up and giving me hugs, and it's like just one after another of, hey, so good to see you. Oh, my gosh, look at you. Look, is that your kid? Show me a picture. Oh, my gosh, look at you. This all is so great. And so through the crowd, I see this man walking right towards me. And it's this guy who's totally betrayed me. It's this guy who slandered my character publicly. It's this guy who has lied about me. And in a half a second, I go like, whoop. I mean, I just get ready. I just have this primal surge of like fight or flight, right? I'm ready to receive or respond to whatever it is that he's going to bring because he's coming with a real sense of urgency right through the crowd. And as he comes real close to me, I realize, oh, that's not him. And he keeps walking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I like it takes me it takes me several minutes to relax and like go. What was that all about? It's one of the biggest takeaways from the week for me. Was because I'm like, whoo, that memory is still painful. Uh, that that betrayal still feels uh, present. Um, the lies still hurt. Um, the characterization, the mischaracterization of. Um, my intentions and my actions still, uh, still really bothers me. I felt my whole body react. And none of my reaction was loving. Okay, none of it. Um, Jesus, in contrast, is loving humbly and unconditionally all of his disciples, including those who are presently planning to do harm to him. Like, oh, in about two and a half hours, we got big plans to take you out. Right? And here's Jesus, fully aware and washing their feet. One ancient Christian writer is named Cyril. He's from um, Egypt. He writes this, This kind of love that Christ calls for goes further than anything previously commanded. This kind of love. This humble, unconditional, I know you, you mean harm for me, but I am still going to love you. This kind of love goes farther than anything previously commanded. And another ancient Christian writer named John Chrysostom writes that it is because this is a love, the reason it's beyond anything ever previously commanded is because it is a love that is given to those who, to whom it is not owed. They don't deserve it. And I actually find myself withholding love 
um, from those if I don't believe they deserve it. Do you? I actually find myself um, intentionally being less affectionate or less outgoing or in some cases not caring if I believe that the person that I'm dealing with uh, doesn't deserve for a variety of reasons. Uh, I'm not proud of that. I just really struggle with that. On the other hand, I find it very easy to love people that I'm proud of, that are doing well, that I feel like in some ways do deserve to be loved. I'm a lover. I can love people like that really easily, but that's not the kind of thing that Jesus is calling me to. No, it's, he's calling me beyond that. That's easy. Anybody can do that. Very challenging to love those who don't deserve it, but that's exactly what Jesus does, and that's exactly what he calls us to do. So John begins this chapter by saying that Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. He loves humbly, he loves unconditionally, and then he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And finally, Jesus reveals something profound about the ramifications of the, this love or the consequences of this kind of love. I think it's important to understand the context, as I said. This is a command, clearly. This is a command to love one another for the church. This command is given to the community of Christ. This is a command given by Jesus to his disciples. This is a command for those following Jesus. And it is to humbly and unconditionally love one another who are also a part of the community of Jesus. And so in a sense, this is a command for us. But in a broader sense, this command is not for us. It is actually for others. In other words, the ramifications of or the consequences of people in the Christian community Loving one another in the Christian community is that others who are not yet part of the Christian community will see something different about this community and will be drawn, hopefully, into an encounter that is more authentic, more genuine, more significant, more compelling than the sort of the fabricated substitutes that they see around them all the time. So in a sense, this, com this command for the church is actually not for the church. It's ultimately with those outside of the church in the heart of God, right? That's who it's for. Um, I've never been to prison, but I love some folks who have been. And uh, they've told me some incredible stories about their time in prison. And one of the dynamics that I've been able to witness as I visited them and, they, and then I've heard more about as they've shared their stories is this dynamic of of. Um, in this case, is men um, gathering in groups according to their just the most basic identifier of race in order to kind of preserve and protect themselves, um, in order to have a group of people with whom they can connect and, 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 um, and identify. And where this really shows up strong is when there's conflict, right? There are often fights, and the fights are between racially different groups, and with this one exception potentially, um, those who have identified themselves as Christian and who have demonstrated a genuineness in their devotion to Jesus that is authentic enough to reveal to those around them that actually this is who I identify with, Jesus. So it doesn't matter if you're black, white, Hispanic, whatever, but I will welcome and care for you, not just those who are, look like me. 
So a friend of mine told me this story about being in a room where a race uh, fight breaks out and people are breaking legs off chairs and it's time to go. And if you look like me, you have to fight with me. If you look like them, you're going to fight with them, except for the few who have demonstrated their genuine devotion to Jesus as their primary uh, identity, citizenship, right? Those were allowed to leave because they don't have a dog in this fight, right? Because they are demon. But if you, if you feigned devotion to Jesus and it was clear that it was sort of a fake commitment, well, that was... That was treated with even more harshly than, than uh, maybe than the, the, the racial hatred. Uh, my point is that when something in a community is perceived to be genuine and different, even if you don't respect it, or even if you don't agree with it, you respect it. Well, at least they're committed. At least they're genuine about this. They mean it. They're not just saying it. And Jesus is basically saying this, that our love for one another is how we should be known. Not our political party or our racial background or any of our other preferences. What we should be known, our reputation should be, well, they love one another. They love one another. The reputation and the eyes, minds, hearts of others not in the church, of the church, should be, according to Jesus, look how they, look how they love one another. And at times in the history of the Christian church, this has been our reputation. This has been our reputation. In fact, there are several early non-Christian writings that document not just the existence of the Christian church, but the ways that they cared for one another. Why would that kind of thing be written? Because Continually, rulers of nations and areas would say, we're killing these people in Colosseums, and there's more the next day. Go find out why people keep becoming Christian. And so there are several examples of ancient writings which come back to the ruler who is, who is given the assignment with this kind of report. Well, those Christians, they, they love each other. Uh, they take care of each other's kids. Uh, when they get sick, they don't leave them on the side of the road. They take care of them. They don't own personal property. They share everything. When, when one of them with children goes to prison, someone else will volunteer to take their place so that the children will still have their parent. Stuff's documented. And it makes a difference, right? It, it, it's remarkable, like, what is going on with these people that they care for one another like this? It got their attention 2,000 years ago or 1,500, and it still gets people's attention, I think, today. Um, I've read several major news outlets' reports of the trial of this um, American pastor named Andrew Brunson. Went to the same college I went to. He's in Turkey. He's been arrested. He's been in prison for like uh, 23 months now. Or no, he's, he's served in the country 23 years. He's been in prison about 18 months, had this trial that lasted a few hours, and then they put him back in prison and said they were going to come back later. Anyway, the, um, the news outlets have been very clear. He had great support from his family. Um, several pointed out that there were... Um, there were high-ranking American politicians and officials who were also present at his trial. One news outlet, this caught my attention, from England said this, and there was a pastor from New York who flew to Turkey and publicly offered to serve whatever sentence would be given to Andrew. 
end of sentence, next paragraph. It's like, you just can't ignore that, right? Like, that's remarkable still. It's still remarkable. People take notice of that kind of love in action. So when a world that is desperate for love sees a community that is truly loving one another, the world will be interested. The world will be captivated. The world may collect to round and maybe even be drawn in to that community. And tragically, the inverse is also true. If we fail to love each other, it is so destructive. It's so destructive. It breaks the church. It ruins our testimony to the world. When we fail to love one another, I mean, even one another, if we can't even love one another, it pushes people away from Jesus. It doesn't feel genuine. It feels counterfeit, like we're all just playing some game. It's repelling. But if we do love one another, and if we do love one another, it's so effective. It's potentially the most effective thing. It builds the church. It restores the church's testimony to the world. When we do love one another, it is our very reputation of love that pulls people towards Jesus. John Chrysostom, he writes this. He says, that foot-washing kind of love is a greater sign to the world of what God is all about than any miracle could be. That foot-washing kind of love, it's a greater sign to the world of what God is all about. He wrote that in the early 4th century, which is kind of funny, isn't it? What God is all about sounds modern to me. That's a greater sign of what God is all about than any miracle would be. So three times, two short sentences, Jesus says the same three words, love one another. First time, Jesus is giving a command, love one another. Second time, Jesus is defining what he means by that command. He's saying, this is what it looks like. As I have loved you, now you love one another. Looks like this. And the third time he says it, Jesus is revealing the ramifications or the consequences of this kind of love. In other words, he's answering the question why this matters so much. And he says, it's because this is how the world will know that you are followers of me. This is how you'll, they'll know whether or not you love one another. It'll be more effective than anything else that happens. All right, so last week in this series that we're calling Missio Dei, the mission of God, talked about how we can join the mission of God by suffering, by enduring the suffering that we face. It's one way we can, we can join the mission of God. And, and I think one of the most helpful, best insights that was shared in our men's group a couple of days after I preached that was this. Somebody said, well, enduring suffering is one way to join the mission of God, but it's not the only way to, mission, to, to join the mission of God. And they were exactly right. Do you know what another way to join the mission of God is? It's just to love one another, right? It's to love one another. I just think this is so relevant. I know it potentially could feel... Uh, I don't know how it feels, but I feel like it's so relevant. I think loving one another is the best argument for why you should be committed to a local church. Why you should um, strive to share life 
with people beyond your best friends and your family, with whom you probably share a lot of things in common. I think it's the best argument why you might choose to prioritize relationships with those with whom you have very little in common other than the fact that you are interested in Jesus, you want to love Jesus, and you know you need Jesus. And so let's get together with people who are in many ways different from ourselves, but we have this one thing in common. And because of this one thing we have in common, we will love one another. We'll love one another. Because i got to have somebody to serve. And I gotta have somebody to forgive. And I gotta have somebody to love. I gotta have somebody, if I'm gonna love like Jesus loves, I gotta have somebody in my life that's hard to love, that's maybe even selfishly motivated in regard to their relationship with me. If I'm gonna obey the teachings of Jesus. Super, super simple. Super, super challenging, right? Let's stand up together. Yeah. I want to invite you to take a moment to welcome those around you, to look somebody in the eye and to listen sincerely to their response when you say, how are you? And to invite you to love one another, right? By simply offering the peace of Christ to each other. So may the peace of Christ be always with you. Thanks. Take a minute. Greet one another with the peace of Christ. We'll come right back together in a minute.